Welcome to Grace Church's podcast. This week, we had a guest speaker join us and share a word. The following episode was recorded live during Sunday's service. Today in Acts chapter 2, I'd like to read a passage and message entitled, After Pentecost. Last Sunday was Pentecost Sunday, and I looked at Jay's notes that he posted online. I didn't have time to listen to the message. There's a chance that some of what I say today may be repetitive. If so, bear with me in that regard. When I was, uh, when I was a kid, many, many, many years ago, I always looked forward to Christmas. Again, back in the 60s and 70s, long before Al Gore invented the internet, there were these things called stores where you would go to buy things. And one of those stores was called Sears and Roebuck. And the Christmas season officially kicked off when the Sears and Roebuck Christmas catalog arrived at the house. Again, how many are old enough to remember the wish book? All right, about half of us. Oh, man, I'm getting old. Hallelujah. And and we'd get that catalog, about that thick the Christmas one was. The regular one was that thick. But we'd begin to go through and we'd begin to write down our mythical wish list. I say mythical because we were never under the impression that we would get anything on the list. (laughs) Well, maybe one or two items, but it was the sense of excitement and anticipation about what was coming. As, As an adult, I think I see Christmas a little bit differently now. Um, my wife and one of my kids is over here to my left, to your right, and they will tell you that at times I am a bit of an Ebenezer Scrooge, but that's not accurate. I, I don't like when our culture hijacks Christmas. I like to celebrate and embrace the reality of peace on earth, goodwill to our men. Sometimes on Christmas... Again, our kids, some of you have grandkids or even great-grandkids. The excitement and anticipation of Christmas morning is overwhelming, the joy, the jubilation. And not long after, not long after the uh, uh, presents are open, oftentimes we have a big meal, spend some time with family, and then... We just go back to normal. I mean, every year in November and December, we see the expression, let's put Christ back in Christmas. And I reject that wholeheartedly. Oh, I got in trouble. Just bear with me. (laughs) Because I want to say, Let's put the joy of Jesus back into the rest of the year. I don't want Christmas to be celebrated once a year. I want it to be celebrated all year. 
Why do we leave the love and the kindness and the peace on earth and goodwill to men just for one day a year? Let's put Jesus into every day of our lives. Can you say amen? Good, I just set you up for the next point. <laughs> Last week, we celebrated Pentecost Sunday. And this is really a big deal for us because we're a Pentecostal church. But I wonder if there's some of that same type of Christmas sentiment that, okay, we've done our religious Pentecostal duty, and we've highlighted one day of the year, and we've, we've taken care of our religious, uh, we've covered our religious bases. Okay, can we now just get back to normal? <laughs> My question for us today is that on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, <laughs> that maybe the Lord established a new type of holiday and, and, and that the Holy Spirit who was poured out on the church in Acts chapter 2 is designed to impact the church not just one day a year, but every day in the course of the year. And we look at our text this morning, Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47. And I can think we can see a little bit about how Pentecost impacted the church. Verse 42 says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common, selling their possessions and goods. They gave to anyone as he had need every day. They continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Father, again, in the name of Jesus, I thank you for your word today. So we take a look at this passage Lord, open up our hearts to all you have for us so that Pentecost will not be a one-day-a-year thing and then we get back to normal, but that living the Spirit-filled life would become the new normal and that we would walk every day in the joy and in the Spirit that you have so richly given to us. So again, I thank you for the grace and love that you've already given to us. Again, speak to our hearts. Amen. In Acts chapter 2, verse 1, we read that it was on the day of Pentecost that the Holy Spirit was poured out. The, 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 the people whom uh, Jesus had left behind at one point had numbered 120 people, and now was down to, or 500 people now was down to 120, and the Holy Spirit was poured out in the upper room, and Peter stood and explained things as uh, fulfillment of a, a prophecy the prophet Joel had made, and he preached this uh, uh, day of Pentecost sermon, and the word says 3,000 people came to faith in Christ. The world was changed in Acts chapter 2. The Jewish community was impacted. The Gentiles were impacted. People from every nation under the sun were there, and they were impacted. The result 
of the outpouring was a whole new community of followers that we call the church. The Greek word ekklesia, meaning the called out ones was formed. Now there were some similarities between uh, their old way of living and their new way, but the focus was on the new. There was a what, what we call a serious paradigm shift. The model had changed and a new normal was emerging. And for us to fully grasp some of this, I think we need to look at three things this morning. The first of which is I want to just highlight the word design. The word design in Leviticus 23, and I put this all on one slide, you might want to take a few notes. My hope is that if you are in a fusion group this summer, that uh, uh, you might take a note of these feasts and talk about them and how they speak to us today. They're not just a religious ritual or routine that Old Testament followers of God or Yahweh embraced. These feasts impact us today. In fact, Colossians chapter 2, Paul says that the Old Testament feasts were a shadow of the reality that's found in Jesus Christ. So the, the seven feasts, are laid out there pretty quickly for us. We had the Passover feast, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and the First Fruits. These three all have seen their prophetic fulfillment in the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. Again, I don't have time to elaborate on these this morning, but these three feasts take place within the same approximate time window, and they all remind us that Jesus Christ is our Passover lamb. He's the sinless son of God. And he is the first fruit, the, the first one to raise from the dead. These three feasts, as we see them in the Old Testament and unfold in the New Testament, these three feasts apply to every follower of Christ. The fourth one on the list is the Feast of Pentecost, also known as the Feast of Weeks. They were to count off 50 days or seven weeks in one day. So sometimes Feast of Weeks, seven weeks, sometimes Pentecost, which is uh, penta means 50. And so this is at the end of the spring harvest. I want to come back to Pentecost in just a minute. But I want to touch base again on the last three, which are part of the fall festivals that the, the uh, Jewish nation celebrated. The Feast of Trumpets, the trumpet would sound and the, the nation of Israel was gathered and so it will be when, when the, the church is gathered to be with the Lord. First Thessalonians chapter 4 uh, verse 17 talks about when the trumpet of the Lord shall sound and the dead in Christ will rise and we who remain will be caught up together in the clouds to meet them will be with the Lord forever. That's what the trumpet is designed to do. Assemble the nations. The trumpet of the Lord has yet to sound but someday it will. The Day of Atonement, the recognition of the sacrifice the priest needed to make and the sacrifice that Jesus did make. And the the, the other one is the Feast of Tabernacles for the uh, nation of Israel. It was a reminder of their wilderness journey, that God was faithful in the wilderness, but it's also a reminder and it points to its fulfillment and completion in Christ that we will live with the Lord forever. These last three... Trumpets, Day of Atonement, and Tabernacle. Churches and believers disagree on some of the components and the timing and how it's going to happen. That's all right. I don't get caught up in all that. But the key is that these three 
will find their prophetic fulfillment in the life and the ministry of Christ when he calls his church home. And these three things are for every person who is a follower of Christ. These, are, these things are the reason we have our hope. So I, we have those list of six, six feasts. And the first three very clearly apply to every believer. The last three apply to every believer. And what I find amazing is that there are some people that say that the Feast of Pentecost only applies to some believers. Again, it's a celebration of thanksgiving. In Acts chapter 2, verse 1, in the NIV, it says, when the day of Pentecost came, I think that's a weak translation. I really prefer the way the King James Version translates it because I think it more fully captures the intent of uh, Luke, who's the author. In Acts chapter 2, verse 1, in the King James, it says, when the day of Pentecost had fully come. In other words, when the day of Pentecost had come in all of its prophetic fulfillment, the Holy Spirit was poured out. Again, that Holy Spirit being outpoured is not for just a few people who lived in the time the New Testament was written. The Holy Spirit being poured out is not just for a few people that live today. The Holy Spirit is poured out onto the church so that we may be witnesses to Christ in all the world. We need the empowering presence of the Holy Spirit to accomplish the task that's set for us, set before us. So the, the, this, this fourth feast is not just for a select few. It is for everyone who is a follower of Christ, just as the other six are for followers of Christ. In fact, in 1 Corinthians 16, Paul says he's going to visit the church in Ephesus, and he's going to stay there until Pentecost. His goal wasn't to visit a New Testament church, uh, a New Testament group of believers, and celebrate an Old Testament feast. He was going to Ephesus. He was going to stay there until they could experience a fresh renewing and a fresh outpouring of the Holy Spirit. He wanted a New Testament Pentecost. He wasn't going for an Old Testament Pentecost. I don't want an Old Testament Pentecost, friends. I want to embrace this design that I believe God has for us so that we can impact the world for him. Does that make sense? Amen. Again, if the first three and the last three apply to every believer, why not the fullness of the fourth feast? I want to be a fourth feast follower. I just made that up. It's not even in my notes. What happened on the day of Pentecost and what happens in our lives when we become that fourth feast follower of Christ? When we fully embrace the design of God in pouring out the Spirit on the church? Well, the, the second word in verse 42 says they devoted. Devoted basically has two meanings. It means to either sacrifice or to worship. It means to sacrifice to slaughter, to destroy, kill everything, or to worship. Again, the the New Testament church just didn't acknowledge that something happened back then, and then they went back to some normal. No, they enthusiastically gave themselves over to living the Spirit-filled life. 
A couple weeks ago, Jay preached. Uh, he was preaching in Joshua chapter 7 for a number of weeks, or Joshua for a number of weeks in Joshua chapter 7. We, we read about a man named Achan. They were, uh, the nation of Israel was supposed to go in and destroy a nation. Everything. Uh, Jay said, and I say, I don't fully understand all of that from a compassion standpoint. But the, the nation was to just obey God. And Achan, it says Achan, took some of the devoted things. Some of the things that were devoted to destruction. He hid them, some of the stuff that had value. He didn't want to trash the good stuff. He just wanted to kill the bad. He took some of the stuff that was devoted to destruction. When something is devoted to destruction, they're not interested in recycling. It's a, it's a 100% commitment. And, and, and again, when we talk about worship, um, our devotion in worship, it's a 100% commitment. It's not a casual involvement or interest. The word devoted means to be complete, not wavering at all. The group that had experienced the fulfillment of Pentecost voluntarily chose to go all in for the Lord. They weren't casual. They were 100% committed to the cause. Lisa and I have been attending Grace for almost nine years now. During that time, You've, if you've been here, you've probably met three of our four children. I, I, I think our firstborn has maybe been here once, and it might have been that first Christmas. Um, Taylor now is, and his wife Natalie uh, love the Lord, and uh, they go to a local assembly of God, and a great, great dude. He, he's a, a football coach over at Evangel, and uh, uh, he's coached at a number of high schools in the area as well. He's just never been to Grace so, uh, again, maybe once or twice, but a lot of people don't realize that Lisa and I have four kids. They think we have three, and uh, we're blessed with four. Either way, the other day I was, I was talking to Taylor, and uh, we got to talking about the upcoming season and, and people that he's been recruiting. He's a wide receivers coach, passing game coordinator, and he's got a region of the Midwest that he goes to high schools and he recruits players and whatnot. And he told me about one player that Evangel had, had given a fairly large scholarship to. Um, Evangel gives a lot of partial scholarships. They rarely give big scholarships. Just That's the nature of the finances of, of, of the university. And yet this guy was incredible athlete, very gifted, and uh, Evangel gave him a substantial scholarship. This is back in, in February when the athlete signed the letter to receive the scholarship. Well, earlier this week, I think it was Monday or Tuesday, I talked to Taylor on Thursday. So it, was just, it just happened, but this player called and said he had decided to reject the scholarship. He wasn't going to come to Evangel. He wasn't even going to go to college to play football. He was going to pursue other interests. I said to Taylor, well, did you try to talk him out of it? You, you know, Evangel's a great school. Lisa went there. Kristen went there. I went to the AG seminary. and Great school, great people. Did you try to talk him out of it? And he said, Dad, if I'd have to talk him into playing, he's not committed. He's not devoted. 
He said, it's just, it's just not worth the fight. If somebody is really committed to playing for us and they're devoting themselves to playing for us, those are the athletes that we want to embrace. Those are the ones we coach. Those are the ones that we'll use. But we don't have the time or the energy to deal with athletes who aren't devoted. I said, wow, <laughs> that, might, that might preach someday, dude. <laughs> you see, the Lord, he's not interested in people. Who are, who are half interested or, or partially concerned. He's looking for people who are willing to say, I am 100% all in. Oh God, I open up my heart. I open up my spirit. I open up my life. I open up my wallet. I open up my home. I open up everything to you. I am devoted. I am 100% committed. This is my act of self-sacrifice and this is my act of personal worship. Even as Jay wrapped up the book of Joshua a couple weeks ago, we looked at that passage in chapter 24 where he says, choose you this day. Tell me who will you serve. Tell me. You're going to go halfway, partway, a third of the way, 80%? This early group of people who experienced the empowering presence of the Holy Spirit, they went all in. I challenge you today to vote to devote yourself anew and afresh to all that the Lord has for you. The third thing that I note this morning, not only do we have a design and not only do we have devotion, but we have discipleship. This group of people, life changed for them. And there are three two-part expressions that describe, describe their new way of life in their new community. The first one says, uh, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship. And I, I guess I've studied this passage a lot, and I guess I never really caught the pattern before. But those two are so powerfully linked. Normally, when you're listing four things, you list one, have a comma, second, comma, third, sometimes a comma, sometimes no comma, the word and, and then the fourth one. My, my daughter over here is an uh, uh, author, so I have to get the English stuff down right. But, usually when you do, but that's not how it appears to us. It's apostles' teaching and a fellowship, then a comma, and then to the next things. Because apostles' teaching and fellowship are so profoundly Linked. And the link is found within the framework of the body of Christ. In the New Testament church, you could read through Acts, Romans, letter, Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, the other letters that Paul wrote, Peter wrote, Jude, you know, just go through the list. One of the constant warnings is to guard yourself against false doctrine or false teaching or bad doctrine and bad teaching. Again, most of Paul's letters were to bring some kind of correction when something false had come into the body. And the key is that Paul wrote to churches, or he wrote to pastors who were the leaders of a church so they could introduce the letter 
to the congregation or the group of people as a whole. Because there's an accountability principle that will keep us pure doctrinally. Paul said to Timothy, guard your life and your doctrine closely. Doctrine is important. Correct teaching is important. We need this. And how it plays out is we have to be in a good enough relationship with one another that if I get off on a tangent that's not scriptural, you have enough love for me that you can come to me and say, hey, uh, Carrie, I have a question about this. Can we talk? And likewise, I should be able to do that too because we love one another. And if we don't love one another and we're not connected within the fellowship, what happens then is we ignore one another Uh Uh-oh, I'm about to step on toes, so watch. What happens is when we don't truly love one another enough to speak to people, we break away from relationship, and then we go talk about people behind, behind them. That's why it's so critical to have this connection between correct teaching and fellowship so that we can guard one another as we guard ourselves, and we can love one another as we love ourselves, and we can correct one another as others correct us. That's part of why we at Grace do what we call fusion groups. They are part of our way of keeping the balance between sound doctrine and good fellowship, or being together in relationship within the body. The second uh, to, to uh, expression thing is at the breaking of bread and prayer. Jesus instructed the church to remember his death, burial, and resurrection until he returns. In just a few moments, we are going to observe communion. Structurally, what we do looks a lot different than what the early church did. Let's face it, they didn't have little tiny plastic cups and oyster crackers. Let's face it, what we do looks different, but the emphasis of what we do is the same. It's remembering the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ until he returns. So when we celebrate communion, we remember his amazing grace. And his grace has freely given to us the forgiveness of the penalty of every sin and his Uh, grace has given to us newness of life. When we are recipients of, uh, of this newness of life, it empowers us to both forgive others and to receive their forgiveness. There's this mutual love and forgiveness that is only possible because of Jesus Christ. When we hold the emblems that are passed in a few minutes... What we, do, what we do is so much more powerful than embracing a call to get along with one another. Our world right now celebrates a virtue they call tolerance. Jesus has called us to a much higher standard. He's called us to love. He's called us to love. So we don't just tolerate We love one another in the power of Christ and in the power of of his resurrection. So we're not just trying to get along. We hold these emblems and we say to those whom we have hurt, please forgive me. You see, so often in our self-centered culture, our focus is, you have hurt me. 
when we truly understand the grace of Christ, we say, please forgive me because I know I have hurt you. And when I come to someone and say, please forgive me, I know that I have hurt you. You know what that does? That tears down a wall. Instead of pointing a finger and saying, you dirty rat, look what you did to me. It says, I'm sorry. I have said something or I have done something that has hurt you. Will you please forgive me? And very, very rarely in my life have I ever heard someone say, I've done you wrong, please forgive me. Where the other person hasn't responded in kind and some form of embrace takes place. And if it doesn't take place, it, it may or may not. But when we hold these emblems, we embrace the reality that Christ has forgiven me and I can now forgive others. And if they reach a place in their lifetime when they forgive me, then we can embrace. And I think, again, this breaking of bread is so powerfully linked to prayer because we cannot do it in our own strength. We have to pray. I've had some uh, challenges in life and in ministry and uh, had one individual at one of my churches who was undermining everything I was trying to do mean-spirited, deceitful, ugly, unkind. And he came to me on the day I resigned from the church because I was tired of fighting all the time. And he said, you know, Pastor Kerry, I really do love you. I'll use you as an example, Matt. He wasn't as tall as you. There were a group of people maybe over where you are, Gladys. And they didn't hear what I said. But I said, you need to leave now or I'm going to break your face. (laughs) And I'm going to break your face in the name of Jesus and for his kingdom's sake. I said it very softly, very quietly, but this individual knew that I was uh, uh, not walking as fully in the spirit as I needed to be. (laughs) Sometimes forgiveness is not an event. It's a process. And if someone has hurt you and wounded you very deeply, if you begin to pray for that person, you will reach a point in your life where you will be able to forgive them. That's why forgiveness and the breaking of bread and prayer are so profoundly linked. The third one, the third two expression way they lived their life of becoming a disciple is they, were, they, were, they lived a spirit-filled life And they had outreach. The Pentecostal lifestyle was new and exciting, but it was not restricted to a building. It was life-altering. Living a spirit-filled life isn't something we hold to ourselves and say, wow, that feels good. Living a spirit-filled life causes this natural grace and the presence of Christ to flow from us as we interact with others. And when we truly have that type of a spiritual impact in the lives of others, guess what happens? Lives are transformed. This passage says it was so profound that the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. How awesome would it be if that was the story of the church in Springfield, Missouri? I don't care if it's the Lutheran church down the street, an Assemblies of God church, a Presbyterian church, a Catholic church, 
Uh, forgot. I'm sure I've missed some. I don't care what the, what the name on the outside is. What if the people that attended those services in those buildings were so profoundly impacted by the life of the Spirit that it could be said of the church in Springfield, Missouri, that the Lord added to their church daily those who were being saved. Again, I'm, I'm, I'm smart enough to know that this church structure is not large enough to handle all of the people Jesus wants to see saved in Springfield. In fact, if every church structure in the city of Springfield and surrounding areas was filled three times on a Sunday morning and three times on a Sunday night, there would still be people that don't yet know Christ. Let's just see the Lord work in us so that those who are added to the church, those who are being saved, is a daily occurrence. Today, throughout the course of this message, I have included the word sacrifice. We honor those who have sacrificed their lives for our country's freedom. We call individuals to live a life devoted or sacrificed uh, sacrificed to the Lord Jesus Christ because of his grace. And we remember the example of Jesus who was sacrificed as the sinless son of God to pay the penalty for the sins of the whole world. We trust that this teaching made a difference in your life. If you would like more information on giving your life to Jesus, visit us on the web at grace417.com. Thank you for joining us and we pray you have a blessed day.